This morning's scripture reading is from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. So I've got an opening question for you today that you probably won't hear in any other church in America. Maybe, I can't say that. But here's the question. Are you ready for the zombie apocalypse? You didn't expect that, did you? You did not expect that question. But I, I, I raise it up now. I don't believe there's going to be a zombie apocalypse. But anyone who's been around pop culture recently has noticed there's been more about zombies lately. Have you noticed? There's been a lot of movies about zombies and TV shows about zombies. We, we had... Uh, World War Z with Brad Pitt, I Am Legend with Will Smith, and we have TV shows like Z Nation and The Walking Dead. Uh, There was even a romantic comedy called Warm Bodies uh, that came out recently about zombie love, I guess, and so forth. Any other, what did I miss? I know some of y'all watch, come on, come on, get a witness here. Anybody, any other zombie uh, entertainment that I missed, right? What's that? Plants versus Zombies video game, yeah, all these things. So, the, what's that? Any more? I, it's right. You guys. Oh, that's, yeah, Santa Clara Diet. Yeah, which is, let's come back to that in just a minute, right? So, um, so my question is uh, about the zombie about, but I was, you know, the great thing about Seattle traffic is you get to sit in traffic and read bumper stickers, right? I like this one. This is one of my favorite I came across recently here. I think I saw this in Seattle. It says, my zombie family ate your stick family. <laughs> so I thought of it, that was just, I just got a chuckle because sometimes you just got to sit in your car waiting for the bridge to come down and have a chuckle, right? But this, uh, one of my friends, a pastor friend of mine who happened, uh, Presbyterian pastor probably explains a lot. Um, he, um, 
said, Matt, you got to watch this show called The Walking Dead. And I thought, it's about zombies. I'm not really into zombie stuff. But he said, no, you got to watch this show because it's more than just about zombies. So I watched the show. And the great thing about Netflix today is you can, what, you can go through all of them, right? And you can sit down on a whole weekend and go through all, all the seasons and everything. So what, and it is more about than just zombies. It's actually about what do you do? How do you live your life in a world where there's no authority? How do you live your life morally and what are the moral decisions you're gonna make when there's no authority anymore? When you are the authority, when, when there is no other authority and so there's all these moral dilemmas that they encounter in this zombie apocalypse, so to speak. But one of the questions, one of the moral questions they have to wrestle with, and this, is, this gets back to the Santa Clara, what is it? Santa Clarita Diet, which is in California, right? In California, can I get, okay, all right. Anyway, I digress. But here's the question. What do you do when your family member becomes a zombie? Like, what do you do? They, they, the zombie life is you're infected with this virus and you can't change it. And so what do you do when your family member becomes a zombie? That's one of the moral dilemmas. Like, what do you do? Do you let them continue to live their zombie life and just accept that they're a zombie, right? Or do you put them out of their mercy? You know, is there, do you get get them off the planet, right? Just put them to their ultimate death and, and let them be freed from their zombie life? Or do you hold them captive or somehow maintain their zombie life until a cure can be found for the virus, right? And you wait and you try and hold on to them and somehow contain them and don't let anybody hurt them but kind of protect them but at the same time you're kind of waiting for the cure to come, right? So what's, that's a moral dilemma, right? How, what do you do when your family member becomes a zombie? Like I said, probably no other church in America is asking this question. <laughs> and you're sitting here going, what is he talking about? It will all make sense when we look at the scripture. Now, let's take a look at what Paul describes in chapter two. What does he say? He said that we're dead in our transgressions and sins. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. We're walking, it says, following the spirit of this age. We're walking in the spirit of this age, dead in our transgression. We are the walking dead, spiritually. See where I'm going now? Now are you with me? Can I get an amen from the church? And look, the other thing is, is that we're craving. We are craving the desires of the flesh. Zombies crave the flesh, right? That's the thing. And I think in this whole idea around zombies and our culture and, and these things, is part of it is, is it's really revealing that we are the walking dead spiritually. And that's what Paul is saying, that you and I, we're dead, spiritually dead. We are zombies, spiritually speaking. We are the walking dead. And I think about this, the thing is that this condition you can have this condition. The other thing about being a zombie is you don't even know you're a zombie. I think it's possible that you could be dead in your sins and transgressions, be walking and following the spirit of this age and craving things of the flesh and not even be aware that you're dead. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's writing to the church. He's writing to the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, but I think he mainly has the Gentile Christians in mind saying, look, you were dead spiritually. And now, nobody walks around and says, hey, I want to be a, a spiritual zombie. I want to be spiritually dead. Nobody walks through life or goes through life thinking that about themselves. 
And I would also add that part of this is in the diagram you can see is this is like a downward spiral. Like you're actually heading down. When you're in this state of spiritual death, you're actually moving in a negative direction. You're actually spiraling. And part of what the problem with what I think our, our, we miss about and I think a society misunderstands about sin and transgressions is that it's a cumulative effect. I mean, nobody says, hey, I'm gonna become an alcoholic. Nobody wakes up and decides, hey, that's, that's what I want for my life, right? It's a cumulative effect. It's over time. It's one decision, one thought, a craving of a thought, a desire that goes, and then you do another one, another one, another one, and it's cumulative, and you begin to spiral out of control. Nobody wakes up and says, hey, I want to have a drug addiction. It just is one thought. It's one desire that leads to another thought, that leads to another desire, that leads to another, and it creates spiritual deadness. Or take, for example, uh, internet pornography. Nobody says, hey, I want to become addicted to internet pornography. Nobody decides, but it's one thought, it's one click, it's one desire, it's one action, it's one that leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and we begin this downward spiral. And we're spiritually dead. We're spiritually killing ourselves. And I think, actually, if I were the, uh, Paul mentions the evil one, the ruler of the air, if I were in that position, I would make it cumulative, <laughs> I, I, would, I would want people not to even be aware that it was happening because that's exactly what's happening in our culture. You think about this, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book uh, called The Screwtape Letters and it's an imaginative look. We're gonna move from, sorry, I'm, by the way, we're moving from zombies to demons right now. So just to stay with the theme. And so he writes in this book and he says, look, there, I'm going to take this imaginary look at what it would look like for demons to have a discussion about how to lead people away from God. And so Screwtape is the uncle, and he's mentoring the younger demon. His name is Wormwood, who's this nephew and this younger demon. He's mentoring this demon about how to handle his client, you know, his, this person, this man that he's trying to keep away from God and keep, uh, keep in spiritual death. And he says this, he says, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, which is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Out into nothing. Oh, isn't that, can you see it today? In our, the spirit of our age, our postmodern age, where is it heading? Where is it leading us? Nothing. No meaning, no purpose. In fact, where we're headed, if I, if I follow the line of thought and the philosophy and the way of thinking and the thoughts of our walking dead life, if I follow that all the way out, the, the end result is 325 million dead gods in our nation. Everybody their own God, spiritually dead. That's where that takes us in the end. Follow the train of thought. Think about it. If you don't believe me, just play it out in your mind. Where does that lead us? Where does the spirit of our age take us? That's where it goes. That's where the spirit of this age will lead us and take us. So that's one thing to be aware. This is cumulative. It's a process. It's over time. We're becoming more and more, we can become more and more spiritually dead and not even be aware of it. The other thing is that we have to keep in mind though, as we sit here and think about this, is that we're all, we all participate in it. 
You know, I, I can't say I'm out and you're in. I'm, I'm not as, you see what I'm saying? We're, we're all participants in the spirit of our age. We're all participants in this cumulative effect. We all have, we've all experienced this in our own life. We all have our own cravings and desires and thoughts that we struggle with where you can't say, hey, I'm better than you. We're not. We're all participating in the zombie life. Anybody feel like a zombie sometimes? <laughs> Sometimes I do. Sometimes my cravings get the best of me. Sometimes I feel like I'm moving away from God rather than closer to God. I don't think that's what God desires for any of us. And when you read Paul, you always want to read for the but. We said that in the prayer room earlier. Look for Paul's big but. I say that because you'll remember it. And I really want to sing a song right now, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Too much pop culture here, sorry. But you look at the but, and here's the memory verse in it. So, so you got this spiritual, we're, we're participants in the walking dead in this world, and then Paul's but. And this is the memory verse for this week, so let's read this verse together. Let's all read it out loud together, the memory verse, maybe. Yeah, there we go. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You get that, right? You were dead, but in Christ you are made alive. So think about this. What happened was that God's love for us, God's love was moving this, that we deserved, it said in the text, we deserve wrath. And here's the beautiful thing. You know, a lot of people think God's this judgmental, wrathful God. But when God came across the decision, what do I do with a family member who becomes the walking dead, <laughs> spiritually dead? What did God do? He didn't send a wrath. <laughs> he didn't say, yeah, we'll just, we're, we're done end of the life, or what did God do? He loved us spiritual zombies. <laughs> he loved the spiritually dead. He loved us even though we were dead in our transgressions and deserved wrath. God did not give us wrath. God gave us love and mercy and grace. <laughs> wow. Well, how did God handle that moral dilemma? <laughs> he said, I'm going to cure the problem. I'm actually gonna provide the love and the grace, and love is driving the mercy, so we get mercy instead of wrath, we get grace instead of wrath, we get because God loves us more than God wants to just give up on us. That's good news, folks. That's good news. It's good news that God made that decision to love us, that was motivating his decision. And it says, actually in the little Greek, that, that what happened is the result of this decision uh, on, in God's part is that we were quickened in Christ. We, means we were made alive. We were quickened. Our spirit was quickened. And, and the same quickening that happened when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He was, he was dead physically, right? And in the resurrection, God quickened him, made him alive. What Paul is saying is that same spirit, that same quickening can happen in you and me spiritually. That you and I, even though we're spiritually dead, the quickening of the Holy Spirit, the quickening, the making alive of Christ comes into us and starts to regenerate us and change us and shape us and mold us differently. And part of it, the other good news part of this is that notice where we are seated. 
Where are we seated? With Christ. And if you remember from last week, where is Christ seated? Who remembers? Who was here last week remembers where Jesus was seated? Right hand of God, right? With what? All authority, dominion, power, right? If you remember that from chapter one. So all that, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, the one who has all authority, the one who has all power, and who is in charge even of the spirit of this age. Think about that. You and I, when we respond to grace and mercy and love, are quickened and seated. Our response is simply faith. Our response is so simple, it maybe feels like it's too simple. But our, our, our response is simply trusting that this is true. I don't know about you, but I know that when the moment I became, I can remember the moment I became a Christian. This doesn't always happen for everybody. Some people takes it's a period of time, but I remember the moment my spirit was quickened by the Holy Spirit. And I responded not, and what did I respond to? I responded to God's love and mercy and grace in my life. And that was the moment I began to make a 180 degree turn in my life away from my spiritual walking deadness, which I was in, and began this 180 degree turn towards God because of God's love, mercy, and grace. Sometimes that happens in an instant. Sometimes that happens for people over time. Maybe, I don't know what your experience is, but if you have not experienced that quickening that faith in the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, I pray that for you. And if you haven't, let me know. Come talk to me after the service. We, I'd love to just pray with you and, and let you know about that quickening that can happen in your spirit to make you alive in Christ. I would also say that it'd be great if I was always at the top. But the reality is what, folks? We're still living in the spirit of this age. We're still living in a world that's, yeah, we're seated with Christ, and, but I'm not yet all the way there. You, you with me there? You know, I, I'm with Paul here. I know the good I ought to do, but for some reason I just can't do it. And so I would also say that even, though, uh, even as sin and transgressions and listening and walking in the spirit of this age can lead us in a different direction. Also being made, and as a cumulative effect, the same is true with being made alive in Christ. I still have to participate in that process. And so as I participate in that process, there's actually, it's a process. It's not something, again, I don't wake up one day and I'm, you know, I get a halo. And I'm a saint. I'm in the process of becoming a saint. Now I want to read this last verse to you in Ephesians chapter two. I love, it's one of my favorite verses. It's not our memory verse, but it is one of my favorite and I'm actually going to read it to you out of the NLT. We've been reading the NIV, NLT. If you remember last week, I talked about reading and studying Scripture in multiple translations to get different understandings and meanings and context. So here's what it says in the NLT. For we are God's, and here's the key word, masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see that? The, the original plan was, was for us to do good things, <laughs> not to give in to sin and transgressions and those things, but to do good things and live this life and be made alive in Christ. That was God's original intent and purpose for our lives. 
I love this idea, though, that you, and I hope you get, if, if nothing else today, get this, you're a masterpiece. You are loved by God, you matter to God, God values you, and God looks at you, and God sees a masterpiece in the making. Still under work, you know, the canvas is not full yet. <laughs> the, the whole piece is not finished. You're still in process, I'm still in process. God is in the, in the process of painting the masterpiece of our lives, corporately, individually. You know, I had the opportunity to travel to Rome and go to the Vatican, and the Vatican Museum has some of the big, one of the biggest collections of art in the world. And I saw the Sistine Chapel, right? And I thought that was okay. <laughs> I love the story behind it, oh, that's another sermon. But my favorite piece in the Vatican is this piece here on the screen, Pieta, Pity. It is a sculpture by Michelangelo of the mother of, the mother of Jesus, Mary, holding Jesus, the, 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 death, the dead, spiritually dead and physically dead body of Jesus. And that's why it's called Pity. Right after his crucifixion, after they took him down off the cross. And I, and I, and I, and I was, you know, I took art history in college. Did anybody else do that? Sat in a room in the dark room watching slides. I'm not a big art history guy, but that hit me. When you see truly great art, I'm not talking about some of the stuff we see today, but you look at that and it's inspirational. The detail, the workmanship, Michelangelo took him almost two years to do this. He was age 22 when he did this. This was early in his art career. The other thing about this is that, so you can see the giftedness of this, this man, right? This person. The other thing is this is the only signed piece by Michelangelo of all his works. One signed piece. And it's this one signed. Now, I had to dig a little deeper to see how do you create this without a digital 3D printer? How do you do this? It's a process. The first thing Michelangelo probably did was he sketched it on paper. The next thing he did was he made a terracotta model of this sculpture. After the terracotta model, he used the terracotta model to create a wax model. Then after he had the wax model and was able to get all the detail in the wax model, which is much easier to work with than granite or marble, sorry, this is made of marble. He then took the wax model and put it in a box. And what they, he would have done was he would have filled that box with the model in it up full of water. The same size as the marble slab. And then what Michelangelo would do so that he could sculpt the marble slab, he would then have sketched out on the outside of the marble slab the, 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 the rough sketch of this. And then he would have gone over to the box with the water in it and the, and the model in it, and he would dip out some of the water so that the water level would lower, and then you would just see like the top of Mary's head. And he would begin to sculpt that. And then after he was done moving, and he would take some more water out, and he would lower it, and then you could get down to here, and he would sculpt some more. And then he would lower the water again, and he would sculpt some more. And he would lower the water again and sculpt some more with chisels and hammers right? It was a process. 
Think about that. That's exactly how God works in my life. That, that I think I'm doing pretty good, and then God lowers the water table, and I reveal something else. Oh, oh yeah, I gotta work on that, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be, but what is the image that God is looking at, right? What is the model that God is looking at as God is carving and shaping the image in me? What's the model? Jesus, right? That God's looking at Christ, whom I'm seated with, that God sees me and God sees Christ in me. Just as Michelangelo looked at that marble, he didn't see a marble slab. He saw this in the marble slab. <laughs> he, that, that marble slab had no life. It was just a slab. But what he was able to do was look beyond the slab <laughs> and look to see the image within. God looks at you and me like an artist. God doesn't see just a slab of marble. God sees the image of Christ in you and me. And God is looking to do things in our lives to help that image emerge because we are being made alive in Christ. That's the process. You, have you experienced that? And as God reveals it to us, we've got to actually then allow the chisel to happen. We have to allow the sculptor to be sculpting. We have to allow the potter to throw the pot and to mold the clay. We have to do what? <laughs> allow it. Participate in it. Not rebel against it. I can imagine carving marbles probably hard to do. I imagine carving people is hard to do too. <laughs> From God's point of view, oh, they're hard. <laughs> they're stiff-necked, called in the Old Testament. They, they, the chisel bounces off of them when it hits sometimes. But I hope you get this good view of how God sees you. God does not see you as the world sees you. God sees you and who you can become in Christ, being made alive in Christ. But you and I have to participate you know, I was, I've been having problems with the shoulder. We moved a couple times this year and I did something to my shoulder. So doctor said, hey, let's take a conservative approach. We're gonna, we're gonna uh, send you to physical therapy. Great, I'm good. Been there, done that. So first, I had like two point three appointments, but I've been pretty busy and I had my physical therapy appointment and they've been giving me exercises to do and trying to reshape, they're basically trying to retrain my muscles, reshape my muscles. And after a while, these things start to dissipate you know, as you age, but, and so they're trying to reshape and remold me and everything and I'm going in there and I'm getting the prescription. And I had to show up this past week and physical therapist said to me, well, is it getting any better? And I said, ah, no, it's not any better. I still got the same pain, everything. And, he said, well, how are the exercises going? <laughs> you know, when you're a pastor, you can't lie. <laughs> and this guy knows I'm a pastor. At least I, you know, so like, if they didn't know I was a pastor, maybe, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, he, but, I, but, you know, I just had to be honest because that's what confession's good for the soul. And I looked at him and I said, you know, the only time I, I, I said, I got to confess to you, I haven't been doing them. I gotta confess to you, I've just been putting it off and not getting to it, and I, I blah, 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 excuse, excuse, excuse. And he says, well, it's not gonna get better if you, <laughs> you don't exercise. 
Folks, we're not gonna get better <laughs> unless we practice our faith. We're not gonna get better and God's not gonna be able to sculpt us and shape us unless we exercise our faith. So that looks like this. When I, see, when I feel compassion for somebody, I need to exercise it. When I, when, I, when I feel a need to forgive somebody, I need to exercise it. When, when I feel an opportunity to be kind to someone, I need to exercise it. <laughs> see, those are the promptings of the Holy Spirit at work in us to love others, to be merciful, to be grace-filled. And I have to exercise those muscles, spiritual muscles, to be conditioned and shaped and molded by God to be made alive in Christ because that is God's hope for me and for you, for all of us. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we come to you today and we thank you that you have given your son to us. You chose to love us, to extend mercy and not wrath. You chose to, to lavish grace upon us and seat us at the right hand with Christ. And God, you gave us all these things. You blessed us so much that even while we were dead, you made us alive. And God, we, we long for that image of Christ to come out in us, especially in this world that is broken and hurting and struggling and divisive. We long for someone who can give us a bigger picture. We long for the image to be able to see people as you see them, not as slabs of marble, but as possible Christ in this world. Each of us, redeemed by this blood, redeemed by this grace. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that's not felt or sensed or known that quickening of your grace of being made alive in Christ, I pray, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit into their lives today, that you would quicken them today to respond, to have faith, that you want to make them alive again. And God, we thank you that you have given us this table that we come to every week, this table that we show up at every week, and you remind us that your grace is real. It's not a fantasy. You remind us through your body and your blood that we, these symbols, that they remind us of your love poured out for us in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, redemption, life change, restoration, being made alive. And so God, we pray and invite your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us and upon these gifts of bread and cup so that when we leave here this morning, we leave this place, we can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this world, helping other spiritually dead people know of your love for them. And so Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit and on these gifts of bread and cup. And we pray together today as you've taught all your followers to pray throughout the centuries. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.